Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to Mark, the first chapter beginning at the 21st verse. Hear the word of God. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they kept asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By your grace and through your mercy, we pray, O Lord, that you will allow these words to come to point to the word just read and to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. For we pray this in his name. Amen. One night when Amanda and I were in college, we had decided to go out for dinner and some dancing, and we found ourselves at a local Marriott hotel outside of Pittsburgh, which was known for good food and good dancing. And as we were making our way down the hall, going from the restaurant to the disco room, (laughs) jeez, I'm embarrassed to say that, I noticed three men walking down the hall toward us. They looked rather familiar. And the closer they got, the more familiar they looked. And as they came upon us, it dawned on me, it was three of the Beach Boys. The Beach Boys. My first concert ever was the Beach Boys, second row center. Now, once I recognize these boys, these men, as the Beach Boys, and I won't identify them by name to protect the innocent, I knew I had to get an autograph. I was trained at an early age that upon seeing a celebrity, any celebrity, I had to get an autograph. So I got a piece of paper and a pen from Amanda, and as she went running the opposite direction, I went running down the hall in hot pursuit of the Beach Boys. By the time I caught up to them, two of them had already ducked into the elevator, maybe to avoid me, but one was not fast enough and missed the elevator and got stuck dealing with me. Mr. Beach Boy, that's what I'll call him, I actually called him by name, Mr. Beach Boy, uh, uh, I'm a really big fan and and, and I was just wondering, uh, could could I get from you your autograph? And the beach boy stood and stared at the elevator, not pleased with my inquiry, and he took finally the paper and pen from my hand, and with a look of disgust on his face, signed his name illegibly, and muttered the words, I guess this is what I get for missing the elevator. (laughs) He handed the paper and pen back, and with my keen powers of perception, I decided that he probably wasn't interested in having a little conversation with me at the elevator. I turned and left and went looking for my girlfriend in hiding. It's amazing she married me. (laughs) 
Now, I want you to know that I do not blame Mr. Beach Boy for his reaction. He was probably tired. He owed me nothing, and he had nothing to give me in return. And it was likely the ninth millionth time he had been asked to sign his name by a complete stranger. Yet I wanted proof that I, was been, I had been in his presence, so I got an autograph. It was the only thing he had to give me, and it was the only thing I asked for. End of story. Except I'm sure Mr. Beach Boy tells the story all the time. <laughs> Sometime I'll have to tell you about my encounter with Brooke Shields, but that's for another sermon. <laughs> it's true, I did have an encounter with Brooke Shields, but I digress. <clears throat> In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four accounts of the life and ministry of Jesus, there is no record of anyone asking Jesus for an autograph. There are many reasons for this, I'm sure, not the least of which is that probably no one asked for autographs of anybody back then, probably because they didn't have paper and pen. But even if there were autograph hounds back in the first century Palestine, Jesus was undoubtedly a man who wouldn't want to give his autograph. And the reason why Jesus wouldn't have wanted to give his autograph is because Jesus had much more than an autograph to give. Really important people, the people most important to us, the people who have something really valuable to give us are the people from whom we do not ask an autograph. On the operating table, you do not ask your surgeon for her autograph because there's something more important she has to give, something called a surgery. She's going to leave an imprint upon you in a different way. In the counselor's office, you do not ask your counselor for his autograph because he has something more important to give. Counsel, wisdom, clarity. It is these that leave their signature. In the kitchen, you do not ask your spouse for his or her autograph because hopefully she has something, he or she has something more important to give. The autograph is not with pen and paper. The autograph is with unconditional love. Jesus does not give autographs, at least not with pen and paper, because Jesus has something much more to give, and that something is himself. If there's any autograph that Jesus gives, it's the signature of himself. In our text this morning, Jesus is in the synagogue, and there before him is this man with an unclean spirit, a troubled soul. And he asked Jesus an interesting question. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Actually, he says us to indicate how troubled his soul is. What have you to do with me who thinks I'm an us, Jesus? It's an important question because it's a question that lies at the heart of the relationship between the Nazareth rabbi and this guy and you and me. Maybe Jesus has just done a reprise of his sermon that he gave up in Nazareth, the one that Luke records, when he talked about how his mission was to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, and to let the oppressed go free. Maybe that's the sermon the man heard, which could maybe mean that this question was a hopeful one. What have you to then to do with me, Jesus? What release can you bring to me? What oppression can you free me from? Is it possible that you have business even with me, Jesus? Is it possible that you have a part to play in me? Is it possible that you have some sort of active interest in me? What have you to do with me, Jesus? Maybe this is why so many were drawn to Jesus, this possibility that the Nazarene rabbi had some interest in them. 
kinds of people came to him, right? People of low rank, people of high rank. Military leaders were drawn to him. Untouchables were drawn to him. Kings were drawn to him. Tax collectors were drawn to him. Rich people were drawn to him. Poor fishermen were drawn to him. King Herod, for God's sake, was drawn to him. What have you to do with me? And whether it's his hand on their hands or his eyes meeting their eyes, his words, his silence, his questions, his tears, they could see, they could feel, they could hope, they could wonder that this holy man has something to do with them. Like Zacchaeus up in that tree and Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And don't you wonder if that's how they came to know the truth about him, that no one could have this interest. No one could be that invested unless it was someone more than human because no human alone could express such interest. Jesus' signature, Jesus' autograph was his interest. There's a story about the preacher who had been reading some highfalutin theology, Paul Tillich in particular, and was struck by Tillich's definition of religion, that religion is the state of being grasped by the ultimate concern. And so he thought he might impress one of his parishioners with his sophisticated reading and ask one of the men in the church, what is your ultimate concern? The man thought a moment and then said, hmm, my ultimate concern I suppose my ultimate concern is that the ultimate is concerned about me. What have you to do with me? Which if it's true that this little baby born in Bethlehem whom they named Jesus, if it's true what the angels said, that this is the Savior, that this is the Son of God, if it's true that he walked into the lives of people and listened and touched and cried and healed and chased demons out of troubled souls and took an active interest in whoever stood before him, if all that's true, then it begs this question for us, what then, Jesus, do you have to do with me? What is your signature upon me? What demons must you chase? What calling must you give? What deliverance must you offer? What wisdom must you impart? What sin must you forgive? What have you to do with me? It's what lies at the start of every journey with the Son of God. Brennan Manning was a Roman Catholic priest who discovered along the way of his ministry that servants of the church have their own demons. And the demons for him included things like workaholism and alcoholism. And for a long time, he figured out how to manage those demons, how to kind of keep them bound within him. But then finally came the day when the whiskey priest said, what have you to do with me? And the Messiah, with his look and his touch and his grace and his tears and his words and his silence, took hold of the priest and began to make a new work, began a new creation. And the priest was restored and found a new calling to bring hope to broken and troubled souls. And he wrote books, one of which was entitled The Furious Longing of God, and in it he wrote these words, the gospel is absurd and the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, died, and rose again, but with one purpose in mind, to make brand new creations. Not to make people with better morals, 
but to create a community of prophets and professional lovers, men and women who would surrender to the mystery of the fire of the Spirit. What have you to do with me, Jesus? Which reminds me of a man I call the hollow man. That's what I called him to myself, not to his face. I called him that because this was a man who had come to hollow out himself. He had ruined his marriage, disappointed his children, played phony with his friends, isolated and alone. We met for breakfast once a month or so, and at every breakfast he played phony with me too, holding me at arm's length, laughing at the absurdity of the religious life, all the while trying to cover up the pain and the guilt and the shame and the hollowness. Until one day, in so many words, he asked somewhat rhetorically, ha, what would Jesus have to do with me? And this was the moment when he heard the Spirit through whatever fumbled words I offered. He heard the Spirit say, hollow man, Jesus wants nothing more than to descend into your heart, your broken your shame-filled heart, and love you wildly. And that's when the tears gushed and the body literally shook and the crack opened and the love of Jesus poured in. It wasn't long after that that the man began to enter into ministry. What have you to do with me Jesus, oh, in his hands, he holds so much peace and love and furious joy. In his eyes, he shows the tender grace of his love. And he, in his words, he offers freedom from all that which has captured us. These are his signature. And all we need to do is ask 